Today is April 26th, 2020. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called Easter Hope, the Resurrection of All Things. This sermon is called Resurrecting Institutions, and the speaker is Chris Romine. Enjoy. Join me in prayer real quick uh, as we open up. Um, God, please uh, please help us um, learn to love one another um, as you've loved us uh, and see each other as you see us. Amen. So I have this uh, image up and I picked this image, um, not least because uh, uh, the Christ seems to have a wicked, uh, like, like a uh, uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant ha- hipster haircut, uh, which I think is just kind of weird, but also because I feel like it's very inviting. Um, I, I feel like it is a gentle image of the divine sitting, um, looking out at us, inviting us to a meal. Um, this this reading that we did today is one of the, my favorite readings. Um, I'm going to pull it up just just to include y'all. But it is this interplay, it's this back and forth between Jesus and Simon named Peter. Um, about uh, about if Simon Peter loves Jesus. Uh, Jesus does this three times, asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter continues to say yes until we get to this last part where you can just kind of feel it. Um, like I get chills when I read it when Peter says for the third time, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Um, when I read that, I get uh, like I get a little um, emotional. Uh, because the church has profited for so long in shame um, that we often are unwilling. Um, there, there can be a capacity in us to just constantly swim in the shame of failure, of disconnection, of, of the past that we've lived in. Um, or, uh, and or, uh, this isn't binary, but the second option often that I see is just an inability to, to engage it. Um, so so the, the lack of capacity due to the strength of the pain um, to actually go to that place, um, to actually forgive ourselves for the things that our God, the God that we follow promises to forgive ourselves, uh, promised to f- forgive us for. Um, and so the last two weeks we've been talking, um, we've been talking a lot about uh, resurrection. What does practicing resurrection look like? And we talked about it in the personal for a couple weeks. Uh, And now we're kind of addressing the structural, like how is God redeeming structures? How is God redeeming institutions? Now, if there's one institution that probably needs more redemption than any other, it's the church, right? It's the institution. It's the structure of the church. Um, And that includes common ground. Like I... I don't ever want to be the sort of, uh, uh, I don't ever want to be because of where we stand theologically, um, the progressive community that, um, whose shit doesn't stink. Um, like, uh, like we, we have our own, uh, long laundry list of things that we need to reconcile and things we need to continue to, um, uncouple from ourselves, to deconstruct, to forgive ourselves. Um, but what, what brings me to this text today, this beautiful last message in, uh, in John, is this moment where uh, a gentle inviting Jesus uh, invites the, the fishers, uh, fishermen to, to cast their nets out and cast a bunch of fish. They're kind of thrown off. They look onto the, 
the, the land, they realize, actually Peter's the first to realize that it's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the, uh, the boat, swims over. He's not totally naked if you read it that way. He's just, they usually wore an overgarment over like effectively a big adult diaper. So he's at least wearing his big adult diaper. Um, but so big adult diaper jumps in, clothes himself, swims, swims over to Jesus and Jesus is sitting there and it's just this gentle invitation of a meal. Right, like of all the things that the creator of, of all earth could do and all, all cosmos could do, Jesus sits and eats a fish with them. Uh, an intimate moment, like a, like, a, like, a, like a tear jerking moment in a movie if that played. And so then they get to the end of the meal and Jesus just softly asks Peter, hey, uh, do you love me? And, and Peter says, yeah, of course I love you. And, and I, I can imagine Jesus just kind of pausing and looking down. Maybe he is even looking at the holes in his hands that are still apparently there, though there's no more pain. And he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, again, maybe thrown off, is like, maybe he didn't hear me the first time. Yeah, of course I love you. Like, what are you getting at? And then Jesus uh, pauses again and asks a third time, hey, Peter, do you, do you love me? At that point, I think it clicks for Peter. The three times uh, in the moment that Jesus was being stoned and beaten, as I stood and watched you, Jesus, three different times people asked me, do, do you know him? Are you, with, are you with him? Is that someone who you're willing to say you're with? I could have sworn I saw you with him. No, I'm not with him. Are you sure? Someone else says, I could have sworn I saw you. No, definitely. You know, the second time Peter gets angry in this story. I'm definitely not with that guy. And then Peter does it one more time. At this moment at which Peter affirms that, G that he loves Jesus, I can imagine that Peter thinks, okay, I see what you're doing here. And I think in this full-throated, Lord, you know everything response is perhaps close to a full-throated response that we have when we just know we've blown something. Like when we know we've got it wrong. Like, do you have that in you? Do you, do you, ha do you like when I know I'm wrong, um, it's sitting here in my throat like I, I like I you don't have to tell me um, like I'm already so full with guilt and shame and grief I can't take this back I wish I could I can't work against myself myself brought me into this mess and yet in the Jesus narrative Jesus is restoring Peter in this the church has spent so much time telling us, telling me that we should be so ashamed for the sins, for the disconnection that we've caused and put Jesus right on the cross, that Peter should just be living in shame, ashamed of what he's done to deny the Son of God, while now he's just swum to the Son, swam to the Son of God and is eating a fish with him. Jesus had every right to say, you don't love me. I, I, when I needed you most, you weren't there. Okay, so here's the turn. When we talk about the organization of a church, the structure of a church, it is right to critique institutions and organizations because institutions and organizations are an ethos that is of co a collected ethos of people in between self-awareness and a lack of awareness, in between good intentions and, and uh, good altruistic intentions and selfishness, and all in between. And it tends to meet, make this cauldron of toxicity that would allow Enron to cheat 
uh, for billions of dollars, uh, would allow churches to go uh, uh, without um, judgment as their priests assault innocent children. Um, these horrific things that we see structures like the Third Reich, uh, Nazi Germany do, is really just made up of people, right? I say this a lot, and I'll say this at Common Ground, the difference between um, a healthy church and an unhealthy church of people, whether it's conservative, liberal, centrist, whatever, is the willingness that we're, our willingness to engage our own pain and forgive ourselves the way Jesus forgives us. Uh, and what I've noticed could be a penchant in uh, conservative Christianity, though this is true like everywhere, conservative Christianity has asked of me to deny myself constantly. But that's strange because Jesus tells other people to love, tells me to love other people as much as I would love myself. Well, I'm not a great lover of self. Uh, I, in fact, I'm filled up with grief and shame and doubt, and I don't often want to look in the mirror, and I don't want people to look at me. I don't want to get noticed in the things that I've done wrong. I don't want to get called out. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to be seen for the ways that I really need a lot of grace. And then we move over from a place of pain, often from a church uh, that asked us to deny ourselves. And I cannot tell you how many stories I hear of people who are asked to deny themselves to the point of harming themselves and have gotten over to the other side of church. And they're like, well, actually now I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm gonna hang out with who I want to. I'm gonna talk to who I want to. I'm gonna be the way I am. Cause, cause Chris, I love me. I don't want to question that in anybody. Um, I would say that most often people who come to church and are here right now in this space are already implicitly admitting a need for others. If you're here, you're humbly saying, I need others. Um, that, uh, that my life is more complete. I am more human when I'm with others. Uh, I pray that we as a community, as common ground, can be a place that can forgive ourselves for the things that have caused harm to us and to others. And that as a community, we consistently say, I need others and others need me. Both are humble statements. I need others, others need me. Others need to love me and I need to love me. And in order to love myself, I need to really practice the care that Jesus shows us uh, when I come before God, which is, Jesus doesn't call us out and shame us for the things that we may have fallen short on. But friends, I, I can't stress this enough. That stuff needs to get named in order for us to move on from it. Right? Like we just need to sort of name it, even if it's in the quiet places of a closet or a shower or wherever we go to, to speak with God. If we can come face to face with some of the ways that we need grace from God, I wonder how many of us would have grace for ourselves then. And then when we see someone else fail or something else fail, we actually might not uh, throw, uh, throw dirt at it as it crumbles or as he or she crumbles, but actually might have some solidarity and empathy with the things that are not yet complete the same way we're not yet complete. Because if there's anything that's good news about the divine, it's that the divine gives us enough love to keep going even when we fall and enough grace to say, but I still accept you for exactly who you are, even as you don't accept yourself. 
I just wonder what the world would look like as an institution in the church, especially if we loved others as much as we loved ourselves, giant asterisk there, if we actually could love ourselves the way God loves us, right? And I think that this really just calls us to vulnerability, like an intense exposure to self that is not harming, that is not grief-ridden, that is not riddled with guilt, that is not, that is not um, shame-based, but is vulnerable admission of our needs. I would say, let us be a community that admits explicitly, if you can't yet do it implicitly, that you are needed and that you need others. The catch is, the second you admit that, you expose yourself to the needs of others and you expose yourselves to being needed. What if we were a, a community that admitted that we're needed and actually took that as an invitation to grow closer to the Jesus sitting on the shores inviting us to eat as a community rather than staying in the boat? What if we got out of the boat uh, with all its safety, with all the food in it right there, we didn't avoid the Jesus that looks us straight in the eyes. And the second that we're looked at, we know we need a lot of grace. Uh, what if we don't avoid that Jesus and actually gather around and sit at the fire together, common ground, as a new community that engages the vulnerability, that engages the hard places at our own paces, right, at our own pace? What if we became a community that is radical in its grace, that this is maybe what it means the most, that our comforts and our proclivities and our leanings and our desires to take care of self first, maybe uh, drop down a little bit more and we start collaborating as a space of grace. Um, that's something I could get behind. Uh, and that's all the words that I have for you, Common Ground. May you, uh, as you get out of that boat excitedly to see Jesus, as you continue to seek the divine now, actually pay attention to the way that God might be speaking in some dark places in all of our hearts that we've been scared, not cowardly scared, but because it's painful, scared to go to. Uh, the sorts of things that we're not ready to forgive ourselves that might cause disconnection in us, um, perceptively between us and God and, and functionally between us and others. May we engage our own stuff uh, so that we can be the Peter that Jesus built the church on. Because as we read the narrative, final thought, as we read the narrative of Jesus, first Peter declares Jesus God, uh, but Jesus can't work with that Peter. Uh, and as James says, Everyone knows that God is God, even the demons. Start, that's a good starting place. The next place is solidarity with God. And through Peter's denial and then Jesus' reminder that you need a lot of grace, Peter, we grew, grew solidarity with God. And that's the person that Jesus said I can work with and I can build my church on. Not the Peter who said he knew God but didn't know how to love. Not the Peter who denied God to protect himself, but the Peter who came face to face with the difficult parts of Peter. And Jesus said, there you are, sibling. There you are, child, I see you. No more mask and I can work with you because you're seeing yourself the way I see you. May we see ourselves 
vulnerably and in need of grace the way God sees us. I want to bring Lance in just for a few minutes. I want to bring a different voice. Uh, and, and Lance, I would love to ask if you could reflect a little bit on the John narrative and everything that's been said previous um, before we move to communion. Maybe we'll have a little conversation about this. And y'all, I would ask you that you can comment or ask a question if you have an open-ended question between anything that Lance says and I say. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so I do want to pick up uh, sort of with that idea of what does it actually look like to move forward as community? What does a sustaining community actually mean and look like? And I'm not really going to provide answers, but I do have some frameworks and that I love to think about that I do think help me frame what it means to be in community. But from the John narrative, something that I really see that I love is the way that Peter puts on his clothes before he gets into the water, which I think is a little counterintuitive. I don't like being more encumbered when I get into the water. I don't really know what that's about. But I think that the idea of clothes is interesting. On Good Friday, I noticed when we were the text that I actually read was when they gambled for Jesus's clothes. Mm -hmm. So that means they had taken Jesus's clothes away. And I um, had been thinking about the Genesis narrative before, which starts with, you know, Adam and Eve were without clothes, but they were without shame. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's this interesting link that we see between um, clothing and shame or covering and shame. What is it that we bring to community that we're covering ourselves with in order to cover us from having to experience shame? And so I think that that's just a, a helpful starting place to think about when we do see Jesus on the shore, what are we putting on to keep us from having to really let Jesus see us? What do we wear when we come to church to keep others from having to see us? What makes it more difficult for us to wade into the waters to get to community? Mm. Yeah. So I think that in terms of thinking about a way forward here, um, there's just a couple of phrases that I really cling to in terms of for my own self that's been sort of a saving grace. So one of those um, phrases, and they sound like a paradox, and yet I think that they're both required. So at the heart of community, I think is um, balance. That's a moving target that requires different things from us at different times, but it never requires one or the other. It's always a both and. So the first thing that I would say is autonomy and covenant. So autonomy in the sense that each of us are coming as a person. We're coming as me. And yet, when we come into the space, we're coming to covenant with other autonomous people. And in covenant, that means that we do say, I'm not the center here, and no one is the center here. But together, we're forming a wheel. We are creating a community together and learning what it is to give and take. So I, another way to think about this is actually from family systems theory. So this is a theory from psychology that helps us think about the ways that we show up in family systems, which in the theory, family systems is not just your actual biological family, but a family system is really any family, any system you find yourself in. So the idea is that we all play roles no matter what system we're in. And those roles are typically conditioned by our biological families from childhood. Um, 
But the goal of family systems theory is actually called differentiation. So differentiation in family systems theory is the ability to be an individual that has emotional contact. It's the ability to say, I know who I am, and to say, I can join in relationship with others. And so oftentimes we find ourselves at one of these extremes. We either merge with others and lose ourselves, or we withdraw from others and don't have community. And so with both the idea of covenant and autonomy and differentiation, the idea here is to come into some kind of contact with others and with the self. But again, like Chris was saying, this all requires vulnerability. This all requires us to get to know ourselves more. But I think part of getting to know ourselves actually happens in the context of community. Lance, and about that, I was out. I was I was in the I was in a conversation with someone recently, and I actually used the word enmeshment as like a as like a synonym for mutual interdependence, and they picked it up immediately because they they knew exactly. They were like, "Oh my gosh, please don't say that," because unhealthy psychological enmeshment is is yeah. what churches tend to trade in. That's the profit of bringing me in, and I, I'm now bound to that. So. I paused and I was like, oh my gosh, like that was totally the wrong word to, to say right there. I, it's not the word I mean, because yeah, that, that invitation of church is to, loo- is to lose yourself. Um, and actually what you point to is, is the beauty of community. It's I know who I am and I can practice detach, detachment from, from, from and, a la- and, and enmeshment from these things. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right, which is hard because it does require us, I think, to bring ourselves into the space, which requires us to take time to know what it is that is the self to bring into the space. But it also requires us to say, I have to allow other people to bring themselves into the space. Right, and that the space is not fixed, it's not static, it's dynamic. Um, And I think one of the other big practices that I think about is that we are practicing coexistence, which I think truly means that, um, that we're finding people where they are and we're finding ourselves where we are. Like we're not actually forcing people to be where we are or vice versa, but we're meeting people. It's a dance rather than a, you have to be this or that or fit into this box. Yeah, amen. No, it's difficult. Another thing I want to note that you jog my memory on is is part of this scene, which is often we, we need to pay attention to these nuances. Is uh, the same way Lance noticed uh, noted that um, Paul, oh, sorry, Peter puts on his clothes and jumps in the water, which is the worst way to swim. Um, uh, th- think about the 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 uh, natural um, details of this of this uh, story. So. Um, Peter, the one who walked on water, uh, but began to seek a uh, sink in his distrust that he actually could walk on water, um, is the one who jumps seeing Jesus from afar into the water to swim to Jesus. So it's almost a bringing back of the faith that Peter had in Jesus. But then Peter gets to a coal by, by, uh, burning fire with Jesus. Uh, which is the same coal by, by, uh, burning fire, which is referenced um, as uh, Jesus is being beaten in the evening, late into the evening, and Peter is standing around that fire um, and is denying Jesus 
now this same fire, uh, Peter sits by Jesus and reminds Jesus three times to account for the three times that Jesus was denied by Peter, that yes, Peter loves. What does this tell me? I would say the vulnerability lance that you speak of is often God brings us to the very places when we when we accept the invitation to go deeper. And I don't want you guys to hear this as re-engaging abuse or trauma dynamics or trauma bonds, not at all. But often God will come, uh, will bring us full circle uh, to the very thing that, uh, that 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 scared us the most. And I would say that it, at Common Ground, at least, there's a lot of people who are like this at the church because the church has been so harmful. The church has done all of the things that is listed in this chat. Ask the me to, to disappear for the we, ask the person to amesh, ask the person to lose their identity, etc. Ask the person to not be semi-permeable. And so now coming into Common Ground, it's like, well, I've learned to put my arms out like this to keep this thing at a distance because it will hurt. Um, and I wonder if the, some of the invitation is, uh, what would it look like if you just brought the arm back an inch? Like, would that would that be a healing moment for you? Would this be restorative? Not, don't drop the arms. In fact, by all means, figure out at your own pace how one might participate. But this very thing that has been so harmful, can it actually be a little bit redeemed um, if greater... Uh, 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 emotional or relational participation is is uh, is gained in this space. Richard Rohr says, if we don't transform our pain, we transmit our pain. Yeah. And so I think like you were saying earlier, right? We oftentimes, it's easy to just leave the place of pain, the church that we've experienced pain, and then just move into like a, what we would say is a liberal church and not really deal with the pain. Right? You just enter a new system thinking that, well, I thank God I'm gone from the old system. And yet there's going to be that same pain is still there and still needs to be dealt with in some way. Yeah. And so I think for me, one of the big questions is what does it actually mean to be a healing community? Like what are practices, what are marks of a healing community that we could point to and say, this is what is making things right. This is how we're healing together. Yeah, I just wrote that. What what does it actually mean to be a healing community? Amen. Yeah. 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 I think as we wrap up, um, my final thought, and then I'll I'll leave you with the final thought. Um, final final. Uh, my penultimate thought is, I hope um, that as we, oh man, Rob, naming it. I I hope that as we practice um, secure attachment, um, the others are being that those being anxious. Um, anxious and withdrawn or avoidant rather um, that as we practice secure attachment um, that we practice it first with um, with ourselves well loving ourselves first and loving God spending time on ourselves forgiving ourselves and then learning to love another I found uh, in my own avoidant um, attachment style that I have been scared to engage over the last 36 years of my life the abuse that I suffered innocently as, as was victim to at an age where I couldn't defend myself. Um, on one hand, it's right to name that abuse. And on the other hand, I think it would just be a missed opportunity on my part if I didn't um, look at those spaces, look at that place, look at those memories, look at what it's done and, and say, that won't define who, who I am. Um, that's not who I am. That's not who God says I am. 
Um, I'm more than that. Um, and the longer that I avoid myself, <laughs> the longer that I avoid healthy attachment with other people and I become an avoidant attachment. Mm. Um, so for whatever it's worth, for those who have come from churches, come from families, come from pastor, pastors, um, come from cis men, um, come from just cr Christianity, like anything that is triggering, um, it is not our goal to, uh, to have that be silenced. Um, but I do think it's Jesus's goal for each of us individually so that we can create better organizations and corporations and churches and communities to go to the gentle uh, side of the lake um, and sit with Jesus and really heal from those things that uh, were incomplete previous. Lance, final word. I would just say, again, going back to attachment theory, the idea in attachment theory is that is not that we all are the secure attachment, that that's not necessarily the end game. It's to be accepting of whatever attachment style we are and learn how to deal with the different attachment styles. So for instance, for the anxious attachment style like myself, who has lots of trauma and fear coming into church, the idea is not that I have to figure out my shit to be better all by myself, but that I have community that can say to me, you're okay, you're loved, I see you, I'm with you, right? And that we can do that for each other. And I think, I would say that's one of the signs of a healing community, that we can actually learn how to carry each other through pain, not forsake each other in pain. Amen, friends.